I'll go ahead and take, have you take your Bible and turn with me to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1, and, and I'll have you just kind of put a little bookmarker there, if you will, and then I'm going to have you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter number 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 to start off the night tonight. And uh, as we have been working our way through Colossians, the letter to the church of Laodicea, as well as Colossae, we are taking this first chapter to look at what will obviously be uh, some areas of weakness, some areas of failure in the final church age. And we're addressing these and pointing out what God's people need to be guarding against as a result of this. And so Colossians chapter number 1 and then on over to Second Thessalonians. And as you're turning there, I want to just quickly recap what we've looked at so far. Uh, we've taken some time to look at the fact that insincerity, insincerity will run rampant in the final church age. We're seeing it all over. All you have to do is turn on the religious channel for a few moments and you're going to see a great deal of insincerity. You're going to see folks that are... Uh, telling you to send in money and they'll send you a prayer blanket and they'll send you holy water and they'll send you prayer oil and they'll send you they'll send you all kinds of things that they practically didn't pay anything for. And in return, they want you to send them all of your money. There's a lot of insincerity there. There's a lot of insincerity in some of what we see that's called faith healing, uh, where folks are going around and hitting people in the head and throwing their suit coat at them. And they fall over backwards and they start shaking and gyrating all over the stage. There's a lot of insincerity in that. Unfortunately, we live in an age where wolves in sheep's clothing are everywhere. And it is God's people's responsibility to not only see them, but also to call them out and to make sure that we're guarding against it. And so that's exactly what we intend to do by being real. The best way to overcome insincerity is by being sincere, by being real. And real isn't always pretty, real isn't always perfect, but real is real. And I'm much, I don't know about you, but I prefer real any day over fake. And so let's make sure that we're being real as God's people. Number two, ignorance is going to run rampant in the final church age. There will be a gross lack of knowledge about the things of God. There will be a lot of knowledge. In fact, there's going to be an overabundance of knowledge in the final church age, but only knowledge as it pertains to the things of this world and not as it pertains to the things of God. How do we defeat that ignorance? We do so by being educated by growing in our faith and growing in our knowledge of the Word of God. But those two things set aside, I happen to believe that one of the greatest defining characteristics of the last days is what we call the falling away. You've heard me describe it or say it multiple times now, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that falling away as an introduction tonight because it will lend itself to what I believe the third point is to be made there in Colossians chapter number 1. The falling away that we refer to, as I believe it, and what I believe the Bible teaches, is a falling away from the faith. In the final days, what you're going to see happening 
is you're going to see a lot of people who claim to be Christians, who claim to have a faith in God, and over a course of time, they're going to, to basically recant their faith. They're going to step back and they're going to, just, they're going to choose a lifestyle that is not, uh, not uh, uh, entirely as the Word of God teaches it. And not only that, but they're also going to take and they're going to publicize their lack of faith. So it's not just simply a private, I don't really believe anymore type of a thing. It's going to be very public. We're seeing this more and more and more and more. I tell you, the generation that I'm concerned about is the generation that I'm in and the one right under me. What I'm seeing happen in the hearts and lives of young people, and I believe a lot of it has to do with us sending our young people off to secular college. They go off to a secular college and everything that we have taught them, everything that we have trained them, everything that we have indoctrinated them with is literally desecrated on day one. I know this because of different things that my brothers have told me about their college, college experience. One of my brothers had a religious studies class that he did. And when he walked in the door, the first thing they told him was make sure you leave your religion at the door. We don't want you... Now, that does not compute with me. How do you go into a religious studies class and they tell you to leave your religion at the door? He thought it was going to be the exact opposite. There was going to be a place where he could freely share his faith. And it was the exact opposite of that. It was a place where you could not share your faith. Your faith didn't matter. In fact, your faith was something they were at war with. That's why the religious studies class existed. Basically, it was to prove your faith was wrong. And so I say all this to say, my generation, the generation underneath me, I believe we're gonna, we are living in this falling away. I think it's happening as we speak, and we see it described in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We'll read this, and then I want to uh, ask the Lord's blessing on the lesson tonight. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and let's jump in at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to bless these moments that we have together. Lord, I ask that you might uh, instill within us the words that you desire to be spoken tonight. Uh, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Help us, Lord, to have clarity. And Lord, as we teach your word tonight, I pray that uh, we, would, we would soak it in. And Lord, that we would find practical ways to use it. Lord, I pray above all that you would use this, this lesson and next week's lesson to settle the hearts of your people. Lord, would you just guide and direct each step of the way tonight. We need your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a falling away is going to take place. The Bible here warns about that. And it gives us three things in this portion of Scripture that we need to be watching out for or guarding against in light of this falling away. The first thing is it says, don't be shaken. Notice it there in verse number two, that you be not soon shaken in mind. The word shaken in mind there, the word shaken, it means to get worked up. It's the idea of 
hyperventilating or uh, it's the idea of, of, of getting yourself all worked up over something. Anxiety is the perfect word to use to describe that word shaken in mind. It means don't be anxious. Don't be overwhelmed with anxiety. Now you tell me if anxiety is not the number one word that we could use to describe our world right now. We are overwhelmed with anxiety. And Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, it's Jesus is coming. All of this has to happen. It's going to happen exactly like the Bible says it's going to happen. And so you, Christian, don't be anxious. God's got this. He's got it all under control. He's moving every piece exactly where it needs to be. He is literally fulfilling prophecy right before our very eyes. So don't be shaken in mind. Don't be overwhelmed with anxiety. If you know Christ is your Savior, if you're one of God's children, you have absolutely nothing to be anxious about. The second thing, he says, don't be anxious. He says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. The word troubled there means overwhelmed with fear. Is that not a great description for our world today? Overwhelmed with fear. Fear on every side, fear about everything, fear that is debilitating, it's everywhere. Again, Jesus is coming. Things are going to get bad. They're not going to be great. The Bible gives us a description of what the world's going to look like right before Jesus comes back. And it's uncanny. Because we're living in it. We're literally, it almost feels like we're reading our morning newspaper when we read the Bible and what it describes is going to be going on in the world in the day of, of Christ's return. It's happening right here, right now, right before our very eyes. And Paul here is reminding the church at Thessalonica and reminding us in this passage of Scripture, when this is all unfolding, don't be afraid. You know, I see people get all fearful about different things that pertain to the last days. If you're a child of God, what do you have to be afraid of? I mean, it's one of those things where it's, it's the exact opposite of what God wants in our hearts for His return. The last thing that Jesus wants in light of His return is for His own children to be deathly afraid. And yet Satan gets us pushed over into this corner thinking that everything's about to end. You know what? That's kind of true. Everything is about to end potentially if Christ returns. But the fact of the matter is for you, Christian, those who know Christ as their Savior, these are not... Fearful times. These are exciting times. These are times that will overwhelm you with joy because your Savior is right around the corner. It's not something to be afraid of. That's something to be anticipating. And then number three. Notice it says there in verse number three, let no man deceive you by any means. By any means. Don't be misled. Don't be misled into believing everything you see on social media. Don't be misled into believing everything that you hear. Don't be misled into buying into false narratives. Don't be misled into think, he says, by any means. Now, why does he say by any means? Why doesn't he say, let no man deceive you according to the scriptures? 
or let no man deceive you about the things of God. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. Why is that important? I've said it before. I'll say it again tonight because it does pertain to this falling away. The reason that it's important for God's people to not be deceived by any means is because we have the message for the hour. Do you realize that knowing the gospel like you know the gospel, you have the only cure to sin's disease. You have the only message that matters in these final days. And if Satan can convince you of a false narrative and you buy into that narrative, guess what you just delegitimized? You just delegitimized the truth that you do have. By taking and procreating falsehood and then mixing that in with truth, you have delegitimized your ability to witness the gospel of Christ. That's why he says, do not be deceived by any means. Don't just buy into anything. Why? Because you have the gospel. If you want to put something out there, be putting out the gospel. If you want to talk about something with your neighbor, talk about the gospel. If you want to share something at work, share with your coworkers the gospel. Stick with the gospel. It is right, it is safe, and it is the only message that matters right now. It is the only, you know, the, at, at, at very best, whether what I believe is right or wrong, at very best, at the end of the day, if what I believe is right, I'll be able to say, I told you so. I knew that was the case. At best. But if I stick with the gospel, if what I'm sharing is the gospel, if I'm being faithful to sharing the gospel with folks, then at the end of the day, at very best, there are folks being saved and their lives changed by the power of the gospel. It's so critical that God's people not be deceived by any means during this era of the great falling away that we're living in right now. We've got to guard against it, Christian. So, don't get worked up. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed with fear. And don't be misled. Now, in light of this great falling away, what is it that you and I need to be? If there's going to be this great falling away, what must I be in the midst of this great falling away? Well, turn with me to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. And look at verse number... We'll jump in at verse number 23. I get passionate about this. And I'll tell you why I get passionate about this. I don't hardly see any Christians sharing the gospel. I just don't. I see them sharing everything else except for the gospel. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about folks that I've known for years and years and years and years that, that are part of ministry. That have gotten so sidetracked with everything else going on that they have forgotten their greatest calling, which is to share the gospel of Christ. Look at Colossians chapter number 1 and look at verse number 23. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. You know what he's saying there? He's literally saying exactly what I just got done sharing with you. He's saying stick with the gospel. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get distracted. You stay with the hope of the gospel. 
You share it, you talk about it, you, you, you give it out as much as you can. You can literally change the world with that gospel. As the Holy Spirit of God moves in you and through you and utilizes the Word of God to share that gospel with friends and family, you can effectively change the world with that gospel. It's why Satan has become so misleading in our day. is so that he can keep the gospel message squelched. And he's become a master at it. It's why I'm passionate about this. The gospel's where it's at. Now... What do we need to be? Well, it's said for us there in verse number 23, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. That's what we need to be. In this era of the great falling away, you and I, God's people, need desperately to be settled. And that's what I want to look at for the next couple of weeks is this desperate need for God's people to be settled. Settled in what? Well, look back at verse number 12. Verse number 12 and 13 gives us an introduction into what we need to be settled in. Better still, better said, who we need to be settled in. Look at verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, notice where it says, His dear Son, colon, and then it jumps into this long, drawn-out thought about His dear Son. It says, His dear Son in whom, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Who do we need to be settled in? Who do we need to be grounded in? We, God's people, in this era of the falling away, we desperately need to be settled in Christ. Why is it that we don't talk about Christ? Why is it that we don't hear about Christ? Why is it that we don't read about Christ? Why is it that everything else comes before Christ? It's because Satan knows that this is what has to happen for the falling away to take place. You have to eliminate Jesus from every facet of society. And as you eliminate him from every facet of society, and then as you take the hot, fiery hearts of the Christians and slowly cool them down to about lukewarm temperature, guess what you just effectively did? You took Jesus out of an entire world where he once dominated. And then a falling away can take place. He's a mastermind. He's done a wonderful job at pulling us and pushing us and placing us right exactly where he wants us to be, which is total silence about Jesus Christ. And frankly, he's also gotten us to a place where we're very unsettled. We're not grounded at all. Every wind that blows through, every trial that we face, every wave that crashes over the top of our heads... Leaves us wondering. Leaves us questioning. And that is not the way that God intends for this to be. And so God's people in this time, in this period, need to be settled in Christ. And so we're going to take a little bit of time here. I'm, I'm going to end early because I know we got a business meeting tonight. And so I'm going to end early. And that way we have time to do that without going late into the night. 
We've got to be settled in His identity, first of all. Settled in His identity. Who is Jesus Christ? Why is it important for us to become settled in the identity of Christ? If folks can come along and convince you that Jesus either was not who the Bible says he is, or that he is something other than what the Bible said that he is, then Jesus comes, becomes nothing more and nothing less than a legend. He becomes nothing more, nothing less than perhaps a great person that lived in a different time period. All you got to do is watch the History Channel for a couple days, and you'll see a documentary trying to dumb down the truth about our Savior. I don't buy into any of those documentaries. They have one purpose, one goal, and that's to get you to fall away. That's the goal. I mean, if you want to know what the producers were thinking when they started into the documentary, I can tell you what they were thinking. How can we convince as many Christians as possible that their faith is not real or that it's based in something that is baseless? That was the goal from the onset. Back there in the room when they were all discussing what they were going to put out there, that's how they got. And what they do for the first 45 minutes to an hour of the documentary is they put all this stuff out there and they build it all up and they build it all up. And in the last 15 minutes, they try to tell you that you're a foolish person for believing Jesus every time without fail. I don't buy into it. It's just another tool in the hand of the wicked one. So who is Christ then, according to the Bible? Well, here it's laid out for us plainly. In verse 14, the first thing that we find out about Jesus Christ is that He is the Redeemer. He is the Redeemer. Actually, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 13 is the, the first thing that we see Him described as, as the Son. Notice there, verse 13, "...who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son." Who is Jesus? He is the Son of Almighty God. Nothing less than the Son of Almighty God. We need to be settled in that. We don't need to be questioning. Here's what we don't need to question. We don't need to question how many sons God had. He had one. Only begotten. His name was Jesus. Who's, who was Jesus' dad? I can settle the documentary questions right off the bat. God was his father. He was born of a virgin. There's not some Roman centurion that has some kind of a right, a birthright to Jesus Christ. There wasn't some kind of a, of a, of a guy that was delivering mail that's got a right to the birth of Christ. The only person who conceived Christ into the world was God himself, thus making God alone Jesus' father. We've got to be settled in that. Because there's an all-out war against that one truth. Why? Because Satan knows if he can steal away the virgin birth of Christ, he can steal away the deity of Christ and thus steal away the salvation of all mankind in our hearts. We've got to protect that truth with our lives. I've told you before, there's some things I will not fall on my sword over. This is not one of those things. I will absolutely fall on my sword over this truth that there is only one Son of God. His name is Jesus. He was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and we've got to fight for that truth. We've got to be settled in it. Number two, not only is He the Son, He is the Redeemer. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of of sins. I know these are elementary truths, but on a Wednesday night crowd, we're the ones going to be fighting for this. We got to we got to be strong in this 
going into this falling away. Jesus alone is the Redeemer of all mankind. Only He is able to redeem. No one else is worthy to take that position. No one else's blood measured up. No one else through their shed blood could provide forgiveness of sins. Only one Redeemer. There is an all-out war on that one truth. We are being told by the likes of Oprah, by the likes of some of the televangelists on Channel 40, that whatever you believe, whatever's true to you is good enough. Whatever you believe is good enough. It's not what my Bible says. My Bible teaches me that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. My Bible tells me that God so loved the world that He gave His only only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. My Bible tells me that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is only one Redeemer, and His name is Jesus. We've got to be settled in that truth, and we've got to be be prepared to stand up for that truth and to fight for that truth in a world that would love nothing more than to convince us otherwise. He is the Son. He is the Redeemer. Here's the one they really can't handle. Look at verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? They can't handle this. Even the denominations outside of ours, many of them, some of the different cults, they can't handle the fact that Jesus is God. They don't mind Jesus being the Son of God, as reference. They don't mind Jesus being a Redeemer. But when you go into telling folks that Jesus is God in the flesh... And here's the thing. Jesus being the Son of God makes Him God in the flesh. A lot of these documentaries that I'm referring to, they will lead you all the way up to all these different aspects and parts of His life. And they get to the very end and they stop short. Even if they don't come expressly out and say, that everything the Christians believe are foolish, what they will do is they'll say, there's one thing we cannot deny, that Jesus was a very profound teacher in His day. Well, I'm sorry, but if that's all you think Jesus was, you have completely missed the boat. Why? Because He is God in the flesh. He had to be. There was only one person that could die for us and redeem us, and that was God. Only He could supply the means for you and I to experience salvation. He has to be God or else everything we're teaching, everything we're doing, everything we've stood for is in vain if He is not God in the flesh. And He is. So preacher, why are you teaching this so passionately to the ten of us in here tonight? Ten. I was guessing. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, You think it's hard right now? You wait until there starts being repercussions for what you believe. Right now it's easy. We're living in, you know, I know we're living in tough times, but for the Christian, it could be a lot worse than what it is right now. Go over to Iran, go to North Korea, 
Go to any of those Middle Eastern countries and you can see how bad it can get for the Christian. Go to China and see how bad it can get for the Christian. We've got it really good right now, but whenever someone is holding us accountable to these things, we've got to be ready to stand and to fight and to be strong in this. We've got to be settled in His identity, number one. And I'm going to close with this, and we'll probably only get a halfway through these, but we've got to be settled in His ability. Settled in His ability. Now, I want to preface this by saying the reason it's important for us to be settled in His ability is because we're going to see a lot of things happen. As we near the, the return of Christ in our time frame, if, if that happens, a day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. I recognize that. I know God's timetable is, doesn't always match mine. But all I'm basing what I'm sharing with you on is the fact that the, the prophecies are being fulfilled. They've already, many of them, most of them have already been fulfilled. Past tense. And now we're watching, I mean, think about Jerusalem being renamed the capital of Israel. It was, it was a big deal when Israel was set up in, as a nation in the 1940s. But now fast forward today. And in the year of Jubilee, I don't know if you realize this, but, but the very year that Jerusalem was renamed the capital of Israel, that happened during a 70-year year of Jubilee. It, it, it's, it's, it's phenomenal what we're seeing happen. Gives me goosebumps thinking about it. We're literally watching prophecy be fulfilled right before our very eyes. And it's important for us to be settled in the ability of Christ. Why? Because we're going to see hard times. And we've got to know that our God is able. He's able to take care of us. He's able to take care of our families. Do you realize how easy it would be for me to get anxious with the thought that I've got six, a sixth child on the way? You don't think that doesn't weigh on my mind? I look at an upcoming election. I look at different things that people are saying and different principles that they're standing on. I'm looking at how godless our nation can become overnight. I see it all coming. I've got to be settled in the ability of my God to take care of me and my family. Otherwise, I can be overcome by those things that we talked about at the beginning. I can be shaken. I can be troubled. I can be deceived if I'm not settled in His ability. Tell you what, we'll close with this idea. I'm not going to get into this point tonight. I just want to read, verse. look at verse 15 with me here. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Now, before we get too excited, there, there's been a lot of swirling falsehood around that verse. Many people believe that Jesus was created that he was not eternal. And they use that verse to state that. Let me explain that verse to you real quick and set that aside. The firstborn of every creature, it means he's the one who birthed first every creature. It does not mean that he was the first one created. That's not the idea of the meaning of the phrase there. When the King James authors, they, when they translated that word firstborn, it, it meant something a little different back then in 1611 than it means today. And here what it's saying is he was the one who first gave birth to all things. Changes it, doesn't it? Now look at verse number 16. Now, and by the way, when you read verse number 16, it clarifies verse number 15. I, I, it, always, it bothers me when folks get so hung up on something and all they had to do is read past the colon and it would have made a lot more sense. Look at what it says there in verse 16. For... By him were all things created, 
that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. There is a lot to unpack in those two verses, but I'm going I'm to leave you with this thought. There are no limits on the ability of your God. No limits. We serve a limitless God. That's going to be important for us to remember. My bank account is limited. My food supply is limited. I'll be honest with you. Six months ago, I was kind of thinking, man, I wish I'd have bought that bunker when they told me I should have bought the bunker. I wish I'd have stocked up the shelves when they told me I should have stocked up the shelves because now I can't find anything. It makes you second guess everything you ever thought. But then you have to go back to this one reality. While there may be limits on the tangible things of my life, there are no limits on the God that I serve. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And I believe with all my heart that as I remain faithful to Him, as I remain true to Him in His Word, as I stay where He wants me to stay in His will, that what seems like a limit to me is not a limit to him. And that he can take care of us just fine. Now it may take us working together. It may take us going back and forth and trying to help each other out. But I believe with all my heart that God will take care of his own as we enter into these days. No limits on the God that you serve. Let's pray.